From Chicago, welcome to Three Degrees Discussions. I'm your host, Mike Vasquez. This is a podcast devoted to the stories behind the innovators, entrepreneurs, and leaders in the 3D printing industry. My mindset is such that, you know, not much scares me. Uh, and, and the reason I, that's good for a career is um, a lot of times what stifles people in innovation is confidence. The biggest difference is just being confident to make to try something, to do something different. That was Scott Volk. Besides being the first professional paintball player and bull rider we've had on the podcast, Scott is the Vice President of Business Development and Strategy at Kislowski Advanced Manufacturing. Scott's career has spanned over 30 years in the AM industry, including stops at Inkodama 3D, GPI, and laser molding. In addition to his day job at CAM, Scott has also started his own 3D printing polymer business called Advanced Additive Innovations. Before we get started, head over to www.3degreescompany.com and subscribe to the podcast. And we can listen to the show anywhere you download your podcast, including Spotify, Apple, Amazon, or Stitcher. All right, Scott, thank you so much for joining the show today. Um, I'm excited for the conversation. You've got a great history in the additive space and excited to hear your story and all the uh, things you've learned along your career. Um, and so like we do with uh, all the guests, I like to kind of play some context with folks and in terms of kind of the person, uh, not just the additive guru. <laughs> and, <laughs> and so, uh, where'd you grow up? Kind of what, what, what were your early days like and, and what were you doing in terms of anything that kind of got you on the path of, of the manufacturing space? Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, I grew up in, uh, Arizona. So my, my dad was a heavy equipment operator. So we moved around a lot. Um, you know, he was constantly working himself out of a job. Um, and so, you know, when a road's done or a building's done, whatever it was, you know, it's move on to the next city. So I moved a lot. I mean, you know, to put that in perspective, one year in high school, I had seven different English teachers. So um, it was kind of rough sometimes, you know, with education and moving from school to school, you know. Um, but uh, yeah, so we moved all over Arizona. Um, I grew up there and uh, went to high school in uh, Peoria. And, uh, you know, I always had a, a, a love for technology. So even in high school, you know, there's a few things to note. Um, you know, I took computer programming. It was <laughs> when it first started, you know, it was like the Apple IIe, um, you know, and we were, we were programming in basic. And uh, so that, that got me started in computers and understanding it. I got a Commodore 64 at home and a TRS-80, or as we all love to call it, a Trash-80, um, you know. Had one of those at home as well and, you know, made my own games and things like that. And, you know, that's back when there was no real graphics. It was all kind of like Zork, you know, like uh, Word, choose your own adventure kind of games. And, you know, so that's what got me involved in technology. And then as I started to grow up and venture out to do work, um, I was always drawn to like construction and things like that. Um, you know, some fun things I did that, you know, just kind of show my adventurousness. <laughs> is, uh, you know, for a short stint, I, I played professional paintball. Um, you know, I was involved in a, a karate circuit. So I did a lot of full contact karate. And then, uh, you know, the best thing I did that, you know, everybody loves is uh, I was a bull rider for several years. Um, so that was fun. Uh, and, you know, it takes a kind of crazy mentality to be able to jump on a, you know, two ton animal that wants to kill you and go for it. But, you know, I'm, I'm kind of that guy and everybody who knows me knows that. Um, I, you know, and as part of that and the circuits of, you know, paintball, it took me up to Washington and Oregon 
Um, that's when I got involved in uh, fiberglass lamination. Um, and that's, uh, you know, what really got me going as far as creativeness and the aerospace world. And, you know, I really was drawn to, you know, we made helicopter cockpits and uh, like wing fairings and things like that out of um, composites and, and plastics. Uh, and then when I moved back to California, I say back, I didn't explain moving there, but, you know, my dad moved around, got got a job in California. So I ended up in California, finished up high school there. Um, but then when I left and went to Oregon and Washington, I came back to California and, um, you know, there was a company that was kind of just got started. It was maybe like two years in, um, it was one of the first companies in 3d printing and, uh, it was Cycon technologies in Southern California there in Valencia. And so, uh, you know, I signed on, you know, applied as to sand on SLA parts and just work on the bench and get involved in this. And I figured, well, Hey, with the fiberglass work I've done fits right in there. I can do sanding and trimming. Why not? So, uh, you know, got involved with Sycon and, uh, you know, started with sanding parts and seeing things like that. But I was just fell in love with all the 3D printing and how that worked and, you know, all the SLA machines that they had. And, you know, we were doing this. They were they were working on this thing over in the corner. It was, you know, RTD molding and castings. And uh, so, you know, I learn really fast and I love to innovate. So. I, I wanted to get more involved in other things in the company. So I figured out a way to manage the crew really well so that it would give me extra time so that I could go poke around in the other areas of the company. And so I started looking over the shoulder of the guy that was running the RTD area or kind of building it, trying to figure it out. And uh, eventually it got to the point where he wanted to go into sales. I took over the RTD and I eventually took over the entire shop. Uh, and made a lot of developments in the RTD area. Um, that's what led me into the movie work that I ended up doing. I, I, I left in Psycon, uh, started my own company for a while. Um, and that's when I got into the movie work. So I did a whole lot of movies like, you know, Triple X, Batman, Bicentennial Man, or uh, Bicentennial, um, oh, uh, Cradle to the Grave you know, all those types of movies, Solaris. Solaris was a pretty cool movie that I worked on. Um, that one in Cradle to the Grave, I had a lot of involvement in those two movies. Solaris, I made the, uh, if you watch the beginning of the movie and all through it, but the beginning of the movie is pretty cool because um, once you get past the drama buildup and they, they fly out in the shuttle, I built that whole shuttle. So like when you're in the cockpit of the shuttle, and I did some of the cool stuff like that Disney does. So, you know, a lot of the guys that were working with me, I put their names in some of the buttons and switches and things like that. We never, we didn't get lucky enough to get any close-ups or anything like that. So our names don't show up. You know, there's not any of the mistakes like, hey, look at that. Like there, none of that happened, but I was hoping for it. Um, so there's a few things in there, but uh, yeah, we had to make two of those shuttle ca capsules in case something happened. And that was a fun job because... I had to be on set in case something went wrong. So, you know, George Clooney was in that movie and, you know, I got to hang out with them on, on the catering and sitting around the set. Um, you know, what's challenging about movie work and a lot of people don't know this is most of it happens at night. So, you know, a lot of these people, they, uh, um, they, they have to, they work super late hours. And the reason they do that is so they can control the lighting. Um, there's, you know, you, 
you can put up lights and then control all the lighting at night. Whereas in the day, you're kind of emboldened to whatever the sun gives you, right? So clouds and sun. And um, so anyway, so it, it was pretty fun to be out there with them and doing that stuff. I moved from there to Chicago. Um, you know, I guess one short note about the company and why it didn't really go very far. Um, you know, I named my company 911 Prototypes, um, which was great at the time because of emergency, you know, like, hey, dial 911, you know, it was pretty cool. Um, but then 9-11 happened and, uh, <laughs> and that, that kind of changed the perspective of like what 911 means. Right. So that kind of killed some of my branding. Um, but beyond that, my two best customers were in the building. And so once that happened and I lost those two customers, you know, I just didn't want to go bankrupt. And I had my daughter, I was a single father and I just figured, you know, what, I'm going to go back to work for people instead of trying to fight through this. So I, I just let it go. Um, I ended up going back to college to do CAD and CAM um, software um, schooling. Um, and from there, I was in the middle of the courses and I got called up to come out to Chicago uh, for a company uh, now out of business, but a company called Laser Modeling Inc. Um, and that's actually where, you know, Jim Hockey, who I know really well, <clears throat> that's where him and I met. Um, and then from there on, him and I have been involved in a lot of companies together. So that was really exciting as well. But, um, you know, the, you know, I had to pack up and move and for a short while I had to leave my daughter behind, um, because I couldn't take her out of state based on, you know, the divorce and how that all worked out. Um, so that was hard, but I, you know, I, I moved to Chicago and, uh, worked with that company, built them up as best I could. Um, you know, they were, they were a bit, um, uh, split as far as their ideas of what they wanted to do. And a lot of times if you're not focused in a business, you know, you won't last. And they had ideas of, you know, making resin and, and doing an aftermarket laser and things like that. And so it, it just, they, they got themselves spread too thin. So they kind of fell apart. Um, but from there, um, Jim and I cr created GPI prototype. Um, and that company did very well. Um, we built that up over several years. You know, I was there, around seven years or so. Um, and then that company did really well. And you know, what was really exciting about that company is that's when the introduction to metal happened, you know, so up until then we were doing a lot of SLA, SLS, FDM type parts, um, a lot of outsourcing. Um, that's why a lot of people in the 3d business, you know, with all the prototyping and rapid prototyping that we're involved in, we all know like injection molding and sheet metal and machining, um, we, we understand those businesses so well, because really what we were is a bunch of outsourcers. Um, you know, we were all about like people would need a quick prototype, um, and plastic, you know, uh, 3d printing was great for pieces of it. Um, but, but what would end up happening is you still need sheet metal. You still need electronics. You still need, you know, vacuum forming or something, you know? So we had to become experts in all the fields. So castings, brazings, welding, and, you know, plating, things like that were all different things that we all had to learn. Um, and that's actually what led us to what was next, which was in Kodama 3D. So, you know, I was actually out at a company interviewing. Jim and I were both kind of looking for a job at the same time. And uh, Jim was at in Kodama 3D. I was at Visser out in Colorado and uh, at the exact same time. And it was kind of funny because uh, the the owner of Visser was writing me an offer. He said, hey, I'll be back. I'm going to write you an offer. And I'm like, okay, great. I'll sit right here and wait. 
And in the meantime, I'm texting with Jim. Jim's over at Encodema. He's sitting with Sean Whitaker and the same thing's going on over there. And he told him, look, I'm not going to take a job unless I know you're going to be there. And I'm like, well, hey, you need to come out and see this. And he goes, no, 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 you need to come out and see this. And so uh, I finally agreed, like, all right, all right, I won't take the offer. I'll come out and see what you got going out there at Kodama. Let's see what happens. And um, sure enough, you know, I showed up um, and that's a funny story with my wife, but uh, that one's long. So we'll leave that one out. But she was kicking and screaming the whole way. She didn't really want to move to New York. So, um, you know, but we uh, we showed up, we got there. I toured the place, talked to Sean, and I told Jim, you're right. This this is it. Like, you know, Visser's got some great things going on, but this is this is definitely going to go somewhere. So him and I signed on, and and we took it over to, to build up in Kodama 3D from there. Um, you know, Ela, who just retired um, from uh, Encodema this last week, um, you know, they got bought out by Fathom. Um, and went public and and it looks like my guess is she was warranted and and uh, that's ended and so now she gets to go you know enjoy the money from the sales um, but uh, you know so yeah I mean Ela started that with a business plan out of school she was doing her MBA and um, as part of her studies um, she wrote the business plan for Encodema 3D uh, and then Jim and I came on to help bring that up and it, it it's been extremely successful I and mean, Encodema 3D is one of the leaders in the industry now that you know really kind of led the way for metal 3d printing and cnc you know and combining those two as a hybrid op operation um you know i escalated through the company after that up to the point of being the cto um and then uh you know i just needed more adventure more challenge you know i like helping companies build up um kozlowski advanced manufacturing called me up and said hey would you be interested in helping us get to where you know encodema has gotten to and i said yeah you know i i'm looking for some challenges now and you know, I, I think that'd be exciting. So I, I signed on with the Kozlowski Advanced Manufacturing. And I'll tell you, you know, even though Encodema 3D does a great job, you know, Cam and what and what Brad Kozlowski has really put into that facility is just amazing. I mean, anybody who takes the time to come out and see it, and by the way, everybody's invited, just call me up and let me know you want to come out. But, you know, that place is just what has happened with the combination of additives in CNC is just amazing. It's amazing. Um, but yeah, so then, you know, uh, what you see in the background here is kind of, you know, my next steps, you know, uh, you know, I'm still working at cam full time. Um, but you know, I've, I've started this little side business of mine and what you see back there is about half of my shop. I've got 12 machines now and, you know, and what, where this came from is just, you know, I started in plastics as we just talked about, and, you know, I've been in this now almost 30 years and, you know, and I, for a long time, I've ignored the polymers world. And, you know, when I was in metals, I just kind of focused on metals because I figured, you know, and it's and it's come true. You know, metals is definitely the future. Um, you know, the commercial world is really grappling on to the metals world. And um, and it's exciting and it's it's definitely growing and it's really where it's at. But, you know, there's a lot of cool stuff going on in the polymer side, too. And I started looking at that. And I'm like, you know, this is where I started. This is my true love. And, you know, and. I love, you know, keeping myself busy. So I started buying machines and now I've got 12 machines and two more on the way. And, um, you know, it's start, it's turned out to be a little fun thing. I can do it night and on the weekends. Um, and I'm, you know, super careful not to have it compete or get in the way of what I do at cam, but you know, it's fun. It's fun. So, and if anybody, anybody who knows me knows that I'm, I never shut off. I'm always working. 
you know, unfortunately for my wife, you know, I, I, I don't have a whole lot of downtime in that way because I I'm always working to me. Work is fun. You know, engaging with people in the additive industry is super exciting and fun. And, you know, this just keeps me busy all the time in that realm. So, you know, as I'm, I'm super active on LinkedIn and driving things there. And, you know, this gave me another way to talk about things there too. So, um, yeah, I just, I just love 3d printing and additive manufacturing and it's exciting. Awesome. Well, I appreciate the the overview. So I've, I've got a lot of questions. <laughs> from, from that. So, uh, Maybe one high, I mean, uh, I'd be remiss if I don't go back to the bull riding and some <laughs> of the martial, martial arts stuff, but I mean, you've, you've had a dynamic career. You've, you've been in a lot of places, different locations, kind of dealing with personal stuff as well as kind of professional kind of changes in, in the industry. I mean, what, what about some of those early lessons that you were doing, moving around a lot? Um, and do the martial arts, doing kind of bull riding, like, have you been able to bring to your career? What context does it give? I mean, for me, I, I started jujitsu about a year ago and it's one of those things where like, it helps you give perspective, right? Like you Absolutely. have to, you have to be really focused when you're, you have to be very present when you're, you're practicing something like that. Otherwise you're, you're going to get choked out or something like that. <laughs> yeah, exactly, but, right? And, and it makes the rest of the day a little bit easier when you're going into a meeting. It's like, Oh, like, okay, we can, we can figure this out. Right. So, so what for you, kind of what are, what are some of the things that you've brought to some of your outside of work pursuits that have helped you uh, expand your career? Yeah. You know, as you said, it, it gives you a whole new perspective on, you know, how you can approach things. You know, one thing that, you know, with the paintball and the martial arts, those two things, you know, what's really important in those um, is, you know, controlling your body, controlling your emotions and understanding how to focus. And, you know, so I learned a lot of that, you know, through those um, bull riding brought on a whole nother aspect, um, certainly you've got to learn how to control your body the same as martial arts, but uh, you know, it's the fear factor, you know, um, you really have to be able to stay, you know, stay cool during that time. And, and look, don't, don't get me wrong. I mean, anybody who knows me knows I'm highly wired and, and I'm not the coolest all the time, you know, but, uh, um, but certainly, you know, my mindset is such that, you know, not much scares me. Uh, and, and the reason I, that's good for a career is, um, a lot of times what stifles people in innovation is confidence. The biggest difference is just being confident to make, to try something, to do something different. Um, and I really, I really attribute, um, what I went through with bull riding and having to face that moment, you know, right before they open the gate, not knowing what's about to happen, you know, in the next 20 seconds, this could be the end of my life. This could be, you know, who knows, this could change my whole life right here, but, you're not going to know unless you pop open the gate. Right. So, um, that I, I was able to carry with me from that point on to be able to, you know, really just venture into anything. You know, I've had a lot of times because of all of what I've been through in this industry. Um, you know, even at camp, you know, um, I'm, I'm not really known for being a business development person. Um, but you know, usually what I am is I'm a technical advisor. I support sales teams. I do things like that. But I'm always willing to take on a new challenge, you know, and so um, sales needed some help. So I jumped into sales and I did really well there. Um, and then, you know, we really needed to, to push towards business development. And Brad trusted me with, you know, hey, take this on. 
but I don't really have a whole lot of experience in business development. So I had to, you know, that's where the bull riding comes in is just, okay, you know, no fear. Let's do it. Let's, let's take the challenge and drive into it. And, um, yeah. So that's, that's what it really does for me is it gives me a, a whole different perspective of being able to take on challenges. And so when you were in that tra- transition, kind of looking at right before you were going to Encodema, um, you had been at a few other companies and you'd had probably in the back of your mind some way that you're evaluating kind of what's best for my career, what's best for me, what's going to keep me interested, is the company going to be around? So can you walk us through that decision-making process when you're looking at, um, even especially today when like there's so many new machines, new companies coming out, like if you're a kind of looking at changing careers or things like that like how do you how do you think through new career opportunities that come across your desk like what do you what's your metrics like how are you evaluating like hey is this company going to be around in three years like does it matter that it's around in three years while i get a cool experience like what what is your kind of mindset when you go into some of those situations where you were transitioning in your career (laughs) my answer at first is going to sound pretty egotistical but uh I, I just have the confidence in myself, um, you know, so a lot of times the opportunities that I end up with in are people who already know me, you know, it's funny, you know, I, there's been a couple opportunities where people say, hey, can you send me a resume? Um, and for the longest time, I didn't have a resume, you know, it's because everybody who hires me knew me from somewhere, you know, they already saw how I work and how I perform and, and they're just like, hey, we need that, like, come on board, let's do this. Um, and how I assess them. You know, I've always been with startups. It's always about starting something new and working with people and and taking this technology to the next level. And because of my really high confidence in myself, I I look at it as I'm not concerned about if the company's going to be there because I'm the one who's going to make that company be there. And so as I approach that, I'm always looking at how do I make this company strive? How do I make this, this grow? How do I make this become the number one? You know, um, Jim and I did that at, in, at GPI, you know, we took that and did that in Kodama 3D and now I'm doing that here at CAM, right? So, um, you know, it's just, it's just a mindset. It's don't go into it thinking that, you know, I'm, I'm, I mean, certainly you count on the team and there's a team that's going on, but I don't know that team before I start. Right. So um, all I can count on is me. Uh, and I know that I'm going to do all the things that it takes and I'm going to push and, and shove to, to make this happen. And because I know I can do that, I never have a question of whether a company's going to be there or not. Every opportunity is going to be a good opportunity because I have that mentality to make it happen. And being aggressive and, and making, making things happen with, with the customers, but like whether you're changing roles from business development to sales or vice versa or whatever it might be, kind of solving the problems that need to be solved. So. Yeah, exactly. And, and kind of with that, I mean, maybe share some perspective on how, how customers have changed over the last 30 years. Like, I mean, you've been in the additive space for a while now. You've seen improvements in the technology. You've seen companies come and go. You've seen kind of production go into place in, in many different organization and industries like what are your kind of general observations over that time yeah oh man that's that's been a huge change over the years you know uh you know way back you know geez 
25, 28, somewhere in there years ago, um, customers had no clue what was going on in 3D printing, right? Like, I mean, some of the funny stories I have around that are, uh, you know, um, I when we used to make SLA parts, they were so brittle and fragile that uh, I literally would hand deliver parts um, and I would show up, you know, and of course they reach out to grab the part and I'd be like, oh, hang on, hang on. Where do you want this to sit? And they're like, what do you mean? Just let me have it. I'm like, no, you can't grab this. Like, I'm going to set it where it belongs. <laughs> You're not going to touch it. Leave it alone because you even look at it wrong. It'll break. Right. Uh, and and to, to answer your question, you know, customers just didn't know. They, they didn't know what to expect. They didn't know how it works. Heck, we didn't even know how it works. Right. And it was changing and growing rapidly. And, um, and so, you know, the biggest change that's happened over the years with customers is the, the, the knowledge change. Um, so back then they didn't really have an idea. So it was a really hard sale. Um, but it became easy because there was just this magic that could happen, you know, for the tooling world, uh, injection molding was the biggest area for that, right? Like, um, it was so expensive to, to go through the process of injection molding back then because design iteration meant you had to make all new tools, right? And that's really what made 3D printing so successful was the ability to visualize, hold in your hand the part that you're going to make without tooling, right? So you don't have to go through injection molding and do all that tooling. You can make the part, feel it, see it. Um, and what we found was as a world, and you can see a lot of the change in technology that's happened, not just with 3D printing, but you know, cell phones and all kinds of things that have developed, um, it's all around people being able to visualize things. I mean, if you think about it, humans want to be able to see and feel what they're thinking about. So you look at like VR technology and things like that. That's all, I mean, all these things about being able to program in space and grab it, and pull it, move it. You know, that's all people wanting to be able to visualize. And 3D printing made that a possibility, right? Like you could take your cat and be able to print it in a few days, visualize it, feel it, hold it. Um, and so knowledge base is what changed, you know, I mean, go 10 years forward from that, you know, it started to be customers um, knew how to specify what they wanted. You know, back then we were teaching and training and pulling them along. And then they got to the point where they knew what FDM was. They knew what SLS was. They knew what SLA was. Um, so they were able to start helping us specify. But where the gaps were is they didn't understand the materials. Right. So um, you were constantly running into this problem of like, oh, yeah, just anything plastic, uh, then it wasn't hard enough and it wasn't high heat enough. And, you know, they would put it in their trunk expecting it to be like an injection molded part. And it was, you know, warped like crazy and flat. And now it doesn't work. Um, you know, <laughs> horror stories like you wouldn't believe that I've been through, um, you know, 15 years, you know, here comes metal, metal starts to come out. And, um, you know, now you have companies that know what they're doing, right? Now you have the Honeywells, the Boeings, the Lockheed, you know, those types of companies that have the engineering staff and the science, the material science behind it, you know, that they started to play a real active part. Um, you know, I mean, in, in direct metal, you know, direct metal EOS, you know, brought that on board as a way to prototype metal parts, you know, as I was talking about that to be able to visualize, well, that, that, that want to be able to visualize better and more was, well, yeah, that's great. I can make a plastic part of my eventual metal part, but that doesn't really help me do anything. And so making parts out of metal was what EOS made possible, right? So now you have the metal parts 
And, you know, but that was all just prototyping. They really didn't envision that this was going to become production viable. In fact, there were companies, you know, on the level of Honeywell that would, that got on stage and said, we're never going to make rotating parts. It's never going to happen. We're never going to use 3D printing for, you know, any of these mission critical applications. But look today, you know, SpaceX is building their rockets out of, you know, metal additive, you know, relativity space is printing an entire rocket, you know, I mean, so all the mission critical applications, that's all been debunked, right? Like, I mean, we're, now we understand that, yeah, we can use this. And it wasn't but 10 years ago that people were saying that. Um, so the knowledge base, like I said, that's what's changed, you know, and those companies have been involved. And now it's to the point where we're really digging deep. Now it's in, you know, in situ monitoring and the software that, that we're using to, to better ourselves. Uh, and customers are all part of that. Customers are writing the specifications today, you know, of what powder to use, what machines to use. So they're really actively involved. Um, and I think, you know, next step, you know, there's a lot of people in this industry who that bothers, right? It's hard to do work. Like if you look at CNC machining, the customers aren't that actively involved in like what machine you're going to use or how you're going to go about your paths. You know, they, they don't do that. Well, that's because the confidence level in that technology has gotten to the point where they don't need to be anymore. Um, but additive isn't there yet, right? We're, we all want to hurry and make that the case, but the reality is it's just time. You know, it's the customers need to, that knowledge transfer that has been happening for the last 30 years is that progression that we need. And I think we're probably within 10 years from being able to start being machine agnostic and, you know, the customers not being so actively involved, you know, it gets to the point, there's many customers that are now designing and putting it on a print to say, you know, printed Inconel 718, you know, he treated this way, go, you know, and they're hands off from that point on. Um, and so, you know, that's starting. And, and I think we're, you know, five to 10 years away from, it'll be just like CNC. Like, here's my print, make my part. You know, we're not going to be all up in your business. Just, just make things, um, you know, but yeah, it's definitely the knowledge base of the, of the customer base that's changed over the years. And, and their appreciation and understanding of the process and the technology. And you also mentioned when you were talking about CAM, the the duet, like the the incorporation of of machining as well, and the, all the post processing steps, and how you can really use additive and machining to make some really interesting parts and capabilities that you're you're starting to merge things together, and and you're starting to really take advantage of the the, the opportunities that both technologies allow for. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, like I said, you know, what Cam's got going on is super special. Um, and you really got to see it to, to understand and believe it, right? But, um, you know, what's happened in our industry, and Cam has really grabbed this um, by the horns and just really doing it, is um, one of the things that's happening in the industry with the software. Now, the software is really helping us and it's changing things for the better. But without the full understanding of how this whole, this whole process is going to happen, one of the things that's starting to happen is topology optimization, um, generative design, um, ergonomic shapes within parts is kind of going too far. Uh, and what I mean by that is your work, the additive world is striving so hard to make the perfect printable part. 
Um, but the problem with that is, is when you do that and you really make it a perfect printable part, it's almost not machinable um, because there's no way to hold it. There's no way to fixture it. There's no way to approach it. You know, the way you have to change your orientation to be able to approach certain sides, um, you almost make it impossible to do that. And then beyond that, you know, uh, how are you going to inspect it? So now you're using, you know, scanning with these huge cloud data problems, right? And you know, so I think to some degree, like I said, I think we've gone too far for what the technologies can handle today, right? Like, I mean, certainly that is the future and that's where we're going to be. But just like every other technology, you got to have to pause a little bit to let everything catch up so that you can then move forward. Um, so what Cam's doing, yeah, is definitely taking a step back a little bit, looking at, okay, this is great, but how are we going to hold it? So you add stock to certain areas and you really plan from, you know, a big challenge for additive industry right now is making, you know, and it's starting to be talked about, right? It's not just about, you know, um, Paul from NASA has said, you know, don't just print something for the sake of printing, um, you know, because it's not cost effective. It's not, it may not be the right application. Don't just print it for the sake of printing it, you know? Um, and so what you start to do is what we do at CAM is you look at the end process, look at, the cost structure of the part, how how efficient is this going to be going through the machining operation? Because you can make the most beautiful printed part, but now when you go into machining, you just kill all the value add that you put into that part because of the cost to machine it is just too, too much. Um, so we really take a, a total holistic view across the whole process to understand, you know, how do we do this the best way in additive? How is that going to then transfer and be the best way in subtractive? And then beyond that, how are we going to inspect it? And so those three aspects are all part of the process to make sure that we're doing the most cost-effective, efficient way in each of those processes. And that's the part we make. Um, it means a little bit extra lead time at the front end um, because we have huge team meetings to make sure everybody's got their input in it. But at the end, you get a great process. And can you tell us more about kind of the the business idea behind cam i mean brad keselowski's kind of known for nascar driver but like what how did this company kind of come about like was it tied to that tied to the racing initially was it a separate idea a separate company where where did the 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 whole concept come from yeah you know brad too was kind of bitten by the 3d bug you know um when he was young and building cars you know, he started hanging out around his dad's shop and, and watching things get made. And somewhere along the line, he ran into an SLA part um, and he was just blown away by what that piece could do. You know, and, and again, like I said, with customers knowledge base, you know, his first impressions were way off, you know, as far as what you could use those parts for and, you know, how they could function and what they could hold up to. Um, but ever since then, you know, he's just been really about like advancing technology and, and not just being, you know, not settling for what we can do today, but what, what can we do tomorrow? Um, and, you know, like I always say, you know, when, when I'm doing the overview for Cam and telling people how it goes, you know, what's exciting about having Brad as, you know, the owner of the company is, you know, no other company right now has a, a professional athlete as the owner, right? Um, and what does that mean? Well, it brings a real tenacity that almost nobody else has. You know, you think about people as a, as a professional football player or, you know, a soccer player or baseball, whatever, basketball, 
um, you know, and NASCAR is not any different. It takes a certain personality to drive through to get to the level that Brad's at, right? I mean, it's just like, you know, the cream separating at each level, right? And in order to escalate through all of that, it takes a personality, a drive, a, a, a constant learning, you know, his whole mentality is, is what has gotten him there. And um, he has transferred that to the business. So he's built the business in that way as well, right? So he really has some high visions for where Cam is going to go and, you know, really wants to be the leader in the industry and the largest service provider in the country. Um, and, you know, I mean, if he could get to NASCAR the way he's done it, you know, I think he'll apply that same energy and that same drive to Cam. And I, I you know, if anybody can do it, he can. So, um, yeah, it's it's exciting having him as an owner in our company. And so kind of now you're on to your new venture um, or I mean, kind of co-venture, I, I suppose, um, yeah. at the same time and in your in your fleeting spare time, as you mentioned. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you want to talk a little bit? I mean, you got your your machines kind of run in the background. Like what what uh, what sorts of machines are you working on? Kind of what was some of the decision making and like, hey, I'm going to go down FDM or uh, SLA. Yeah, like what, you know, what, what, what's your kind of concept there and what you're what are you working on? Yeah, my initial vision and what's driving this, first of all, is just get my hands dirty again, you know, get back into it, understand how, you know, um, fuse filament has come along, you know, and, and FDM and, and just understand how the machines are and how they're built. and Where's the technology today? Uh, and then as I started playing around in that, I, I realized, you know, this is so cool that for the prices you can pay for some of these machines, you know, the additive world is pretty small. Um, and so I started to kind of grapple around this idea of 3D printing for everyone. Um, and it's not super novel. I'm not taking credit for being the first one to say that. I mean, there's a lot of people trying to do that. Um, but I think today where the technology is now, you know, some of these printers that are back here, you know, the, the reality that's running right now, you know, those are under a thousand dollars a piece and, you know, they do really, really good quality work. Um, you know, a lot of people have coined these as toys. Um, and what I think I bring to that is with all my industry knowledge and, and doing high end, high tolerance, critical work. Um, I think the way my ability to analyze a, a technology and equipment, I bring a different essence to this, this 3D printing desktop world to be able to say, you know, these aren't toys. They're, they're capable of doing production. Um, you know, don't get me wrong, they're not as locked in and as stable as a as an EOS machine or an SLM machine or a, a Fortis 400, right, a Stratasys machine. But if you give them the tender living care that they need, and if you're careful and you do your calibrations and you pay attention to what's going on, you can produce some of the same qualities, depending on the materials, right? Like you can't do all the materials that industrial machines can do, but you can do most of them. Uh, and with some of the upgrades that are now available and some of the companies like Dye Design and things like that, they're really, you know, Slice Engineering and Dye Design are really driving the engineering around 3D printing. And they're not the only ones, but just to name a few that, you know, you pay attention to those guys and some of the, you know, advancements and upgrades they're making for these machines. It's, it's, it's almost there. I mean, you can almost do industrial quality with desktop printers, you know, really, really well. And so that's kind of what I started doing was I thought, you know, I'm going to bring my experience to this world and, and apply that. And that's, that's what I've been doing. You know, I, I launched my website, you know, last week. Um, and it really is just about educate, 
bring more people into 3D printing um, and, and, you know, lower that cost so that everybody has access to it. And the other thing too is because there's lower costs involved for some folks that are doing this, it, it makes it less risky, right? Like it's okay. It, it takes off that uh, burden of failure, so to speak, right? If you if you fail a yep. titanium build, you're going to waste <laughs> $10,000 of material minimum, right? Um, yep. But with this, like a few hundred bucks and, and people aren't even tens of bucks and people aren't as worried. And so it gives... Not at all, right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you could see it right here behind me. I mean, this, the, you know, the, the Taz Pro that's sitting right here, it's got the same blue parts on it as the Creality Machine is building. And the reason I do that is exactly what you just said is, you know, why not have a backup, right? The Taz is already done. It, it built that build in six hours, whereas the Creality, it's a 15-hour build and it's still running. But, you know, this way I have a backup. If, if parts aren't, you know, if, if a support didn't build pr properly and you have some, you know, bad layers or something, I have a way to have redundancy where I don't have to worry about it. And I don't, and I don't have to wait till the end of a build and say, oh man, three of the parts aren't good and start all over. It's not a big deal to have another machine running. I mean, you know, an $800 machine running 15 hours is no big deal. So why not? So I start, you know, two builds when I run a job and I build six to nine parts for a job where I need three, but why not? Because then that way the customer gets his parts within a day like I, like I aim to do. Um, and it doesn't cost that much to build the extra parts, you know. Plus, it gives you some more experience. You know, I'm running two different machines. I learn what's going on with those. You know, any kind of hiccups that it has, I learn from that. I document it. I, I can improve from there. So it gives you a lot of, you know, uh, runway to be able to do things. And, yeah, that cost is what drives that. You know, you're not worried about wasting a little bit of filament when it's, you know, 30 to $50 a spool and it's, you know, you can run that for a month without having to worry about it, you know? Um, yeah. It gives you the a chance to iterate and change and do all kinds of things. Yeah. And so what's kind of, what are some of the lessons that you've brought from your career working with metals and, and at a Encodema cam that you can bring to this venture like that, someone who's just like maybe starting like, Hey, I want to, I want to get into printed parts for people. Like what, what is, what's some piece of advice that, that you've learned along the way? I mean, you bring this like kind of level of sophistication where you've taken parts all the way to production that are on complex vehicles and high, uh, uh, high risk applications. Um, but kind of what, what can you bring to some of these prototyping parts that you've, you've built and even production parts that you're starting to build with the, the plastic systems? Yeah. I I think the biggest thing I bring is the confidence to be able to venture out of your standard technology and into additive manufacturing. Um, you know, most people know who I am in the industry. So when I meet with somebody, they've heard of me, they know, so they have confidence right from the start. Um, and that's what I bring, you know? So when I start talking to somebody about, Hey, you know, I see you're making this like that, but you know, I think 3d printing can help you. And they think they say, Oh, you think so? Really? I'm like, yeah. So we kind of walk through it and, and by the end they go, yeah, let's do it. Let's, let's do this in 3d printing. Um, and so in the metal world, you know, I think we've accomplished that there's, there's a lot more customers that we need to reach, but um, that's what I do in the metals world. And I thought, Hey, let's do this in the plastics world too. I mean, plastics has been around much, much longer uh, and there's many, many more customers who understand how to use it. But I think on the higher critical level, 
Um, and also the cost factors, right? Like the cost factors were so high and just like automotive for metal, it's, it's still a bit too expensive for the automotive world to get fully involved, not to mention we're not doing their materials they need. But, you know, once we do the materials, we're still going to be at a cost factor that's too high for serial production. So driving the cost down is an important spot to be able to bring in that new customer base. Um, and that's what I saw with the plastics is, you know, what can I do there? Well, I can bring my competence to apply applications and help drive down that price to be able to use the lower cost systems in a highly qualified, more accurate realm to be able to use a $1,000 printer instead of a $20,000 printer to print production viable parts. But it takes somebody like myself who understands like the criticality of the dimensions and the tolerances and the qualification and certification of the machines. And I think that's what I, I can bring to this to make happen. And so you've touched on a few of these, these points along the way, but I guess looking ahead kind of next few months, kind of remainder of the year, um, what keeps you, what keeps you going? What's, what's exciting in the industry from your own personal work? Like what, what are you excited about? What are you looking forward to for the rest of the year? I mean, I'm super excited about the AM forward initiative. You know, um, it's still kind of getting its feet under it. Um, but it's, uh, you know, the reason I, I point at that is the growth of the industry. I'm really excited about where, you know, being one of the original people in this industry and watching it grow over time. It's super exciting. It's kind of like watching your kid grow up, right? Like, um, and you see them go out and they finally, they went to college and they learned this stuff and now they're out doing it and you just get so excited. And, um, you know, it's the same thing for additive manufacturing. You know, I'm, I'm so excited to see some of the companies that are scaling now and, you know, things like GE and what they're doing and, and Airbus and Siemens and, you know, the really big companies that are really pushing this. I mean, it's becoming a, a genuine worldwide um, activity to use additive manufacturing and, you know, to have the president involved in AM Forward and, you know, and, and to see the companies trying to collaborate and drive and build our supply chain. You know, I'm just super excited to see that, you know, we're going to start having, I mean, in Kodama's original mission was to have a hundred machines in the, in the 60,000 square feet that they have. Well, you know, they're not there uh, because we all realize it, it costs way too much to scale like that. Right. And Brad's got the same vision. You know, he started, it's funny. They all kind of say a hundred machines. Right. And so Brad had the same thought, um, but what's exciting and what's driving me over the next couple of years and in the, in the future and the goals is, you know, I think we're going to start seeing that. We're going to start seeing companies. I mean, Cam's at 20 machines right now. Um, and, you know, like Centavia has got a few more than that. But, you know, it's you're starting to see companies that we used to say 20 machines was the magic number. Well, I think, you know, 50 is on the horizon. And beyond that, it's going to be 75 and 100. We're all going to be like in that realm of being able to scale to that size. Um, and that's what's super exciting is to see this actually come into fruition where, Serial production, you know, uh, the additive industry becoming a real industry, you know, um, yeah, just a, a little side point, you know, it's frustrating when you get on like LinkedIn or Google or whatever. And, and, it, and when you're setting up a company, it says, what industry are you in? Um, there's no additive industry, right? There's, there's no additive manufacturing. So we're all picking things like supply chain or machinery. You know, things like that, because, well, what else do we pick? Um, so, you know, I think as we become genuine and legitimate, right, to the world, 
um, I'm excited that I think that's going to change, right? right? That we're actually going to see additive manufacturing being part of that pull down list of that's my industry. Uh, and I think we're on the cusp of that actually becoming real. And that's what's exciting. Absolutely. No, I think, I think you're right on on that. So Scott, I appreciate the time today. Looking forward to, to seeing you in person, some of the upcoming shows. And uh, I'm going to have to take you up on that tour offer one of these days. Awesome. Yeah. Come by anytime. All right. Thanks so much. Thank you.